0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. Today, we're gonna to talk about the Jesus way and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus as we kick off a new series. And I want you to turn with me real quickly to an opening passage. We won't stay here, won't camp out here, but I love this passage in Matthew 16. Can you go there with me? Matthew 16, verse number 24 in particular, uh, gives us one of the most concise definitions of what it is to be a disciple uh, that Jesus ever gave. In scripture. And here are the words of Jesus. Then Jesus told his disciples If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I want you to think about those words because it is concise, it is succinct, but it is uh, difficult and hard. You know, when you read that, in many ways, it's simplistic, isn't it? It is simplistically profound that to be a disciple means to follow Jesus. Simply put, that's what it means to be a disciple. But how many know following Jesus in a fallen world and a Christless culture is not easy? How many know that to be true? Right? I was reminded of that on the recent missions trip that I just took with Pastor Don Anderson. Our wives were with us as well, and we got a chance to visit uh, the Middle East and Asia, and in many ways, what impacted me the most from this trip is the time that we had to spend with pastors who were from heavily persecuted countries, parts of the world where there are restrictions against the gospel and evangelization. As a matter of fact, many Many of them have been imprisoned simply for the act of sharing their faith. There's it's nothing more humbling than to sit across from a Christian who knows the risk of sharing their faith, but still, because of the joy of Jesus and the impact he 's had on their lives, has chosen to serve him and honor him uh, that way anyway i 'll never forget uh, this uh, brief encounter I had with uh, a pastor who's serving in in Asia and uh, uh, an older gentleman, quiet and humble, but responsible for planning over five hundred churches in that part of the world. You you would think that person would be braggadocious or boisterous, but, but he was the opposite. Again, soft-spoken and extremely humble. And what made his story even more profound uh, to me was to hear our host share that he had been in prison over 45 times, for his faith and his commitment to sharing Christ. There were so many stories uh, that were like that. Uh, Probably connected to this passage, one of the moments that I remember most acutely is uh, us uh, visiting uh, a house church. Now, we had a pastor who had said to us, hey, I want to take you to go visit one of our our churches, but you're going to have to follow me down this, uh, what can loosely be called a trail, right? It was some pretty rough terrain. And so here we are on the mountainside, walking, following this pastor and a group of others uh, to this this house church. And I'm telling you folks, it was treacherous terrain. I am amazed still that I stayed uh, upright. I could have fallen several times. There were weeds. There were places that we should not step or go. But as long as we uh, followed this pastor and stayed on uh, this path, we were going to be okay. And then, Uh, seemingly out of nowhere, uh, a house uh, appears. And uh, out of this house comes about 15 to 20 folks who are representative of a couple families in this village that love Jesus so much and were so committed to him. And we got a chance to meet them. And folks, they weren't worshiping in air-conditioned auditoriums. They were not worshiping in seats with cushions. Uh, That's not a criticism. It's just a statement of, of reality of their situation. They They sat on the ground. We sat down with them and prayed to Jesus and celebrated his goodness and his grace. And I was marked by their joy. And I remember asking one of them, how can we pray for you? When I go back to the U.S., when I go back to my home church, Woodside, and I share with your brothers and sisters here how to pray for you, how should we pray? And to my surprise, their request was not, let's pray for less persecution, their prayer was simply that they would not fear and that the joy of the Lord would be evident in their lives as they attempt to reach others in their village with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was humbling, it was overwhelming, but I thought about how did we get there? How did we make it to that location? If we had not followed our guide well through this rough we would have never made there. My friends, this is what it means to be a Christian. Earth is our present destination. Heaven is our future home. Our roadmap is the scriptures. Our tour guide is Jesus. If we follow him, we will make it safely home. But if we deviate from his word, his will, his ways, we will not make it to the destination. Again, how many know that being a Christian in this culture, in this fallen world, is not easy? How many know that? There is great deception and temptation to deviate. That's why over the next several weeks, we wanna teach you the way of Jesus and how he, much like my tour guide did, has already carved out a path for us to follow. Now, with that being said, let's go to John's Gospel, chapter 13. And what we're gonna be looking at is what's called the Farewell Discourse. If you know anything about the Gospels, maybe you know that Jesus had what theologians or Bible scholars would call five discourses, really long conversations that are recorded for our edification in Scripture so we can get uh, a sense of what Jesus and his disciples talked about in their intimate settings with one another. This is called the Farewell Discourse because this is the one uh, that leads up to the Cross of Christ and his ultimate uh, crucifixion and resurrection. This is like the final conversation he's having with them. And boy, does he start it in an amazing way. What, what he does in John chapter 13, it shows us how he has paved a way for us to follow. As a matter of fact, for the kids who are taking notes, Jesus paved the way for us to follow. You should fill that in. Jesus paved the way for us to follow. He has already carved out the path. We just have to be committed to not doing things our way. And that is rough. Because had they told me, Chris, this is where we're going, I would have tried to convince someone to drive me there. But by the time I got there, I realized that a car couldn't have gotten me there, that that was a place where the road ran out. Literally, if you didn't go by foot, you weren't going to get there. Much like me, I think many times we are all tempted to choose alternative ways to get to the destination, alternative ways to experience salvation, alternative ways to live out our spirituality. But Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. So he starts a conversation off in in John, rather, chapter 13, verse number one. Listen to these words. Now, before the feast of the Passover, that tells us the win of this story. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. There are so many plot twists in the scriptures. There are so many times where you think we're going to end in one place, and at the last moment, seemingly, the gospel writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, just totally turn the tables upside down. Here John affirms the deity of Christ. Here John affirms the eternality of the second person of the Trinity that Jesus was not some Johnny come lately. He wasn't just another prophet in the string of prophets having come from God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Listen, from the very beginning, Jesus is God, and this is why we worship him. And, and this is what John wants to affirm. He wants to affirm that Jesus not only is God, but he had all power in his hand. And you would think, you would think that after making a declaration like that, that what would follow would be a display of strength and might. If you were to declare me all-powerful, if you were to invest in me all of the power of the world's militaries and, and economies, I would want to demonstrate that. I would be tempted to demonstrate that through some act of strength or might. But that's not the Jesus way. No, the Jesus way is different. Jesus demonstrates and confirms his power through servanthood. You wouldn't think that after being referred to as deity and royalty, that the way he would demonstrate that would be by getting on his hands and knees, wrapping a towel around his waist, and washing feet. But that's exactly what Jesus did. But let me be clear with you on why he could do that. The reason why he could do that, and the only way that you and I could serve is if we're secure in who we are and secure in God's plan for us, The most dangerous people in the world, the people who are least likely to serve are those who are insecure about who they are. Oh, they may have money or title or position or earthly power, but their insecurity prevents them from being able to serve. No, you have to be secure in who you are to serve. You have to know whose you are and you have to have a sense of God's plan for you. How do we know that Jesus had all this? Well, verse number one gives us the first indication. It says, after uh, telling us that this is right before the feast of the Passover, it says these words, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. That, that's a phrase, it's not a throwaway phrase. In other words, Jesus knew and understood that his permanent place was not earth, that earth was not something that he was supposed to come at this time to set up a kingdom in, that he was establishing a spiritual kingdom that would come about, Because of his death on the cross, he knew that he was here to live a sinless life, to die as the Lamb of God, spotless for our sins, to bring us salvation, and then to return to the Father so that we can meet him one day in eternity. He knew that. He was secure in that. He was not questioning his purpose. Parenthetically, let me ask you a question. Are you secure in your purpose? Are you clear on why God has placed you here. Friends, if there is a mystery at all in your mind of why God has placed you here, that should be at the top of your prayer list. It's been said that there are two great days in a person's life. The first is the day in which they were born, and the second is the day in which they they discover what they were born to do. You were born to do something great on God's behalf, and where do you find your purpose It's in the word, it's in the words, in the life of Jesus that you find the security that John refers to in verse number one. But in verse number three, we find he was secure also in his identity. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from the father, that was going back to God, that he had come from God and he was going back to God. He understood exactly who he was, that he was Savior of the world, that he was the King of kings, that he was the Lord of lords, he was secure in who he was. And because he was secure in who he was and whose he was, he could serve. The measure of your security and your identity is seen not in how you flex your might or your strength or your power, it is seen in how you serve others. So Jesus paves the way as a servant. Kids, again, you may want to write that in. Jesus paved the way as a servant. He gets down on his hands and knees and begins to wash feet. Now, this is such a menial task that in a lot of Jewish homes, historians tell us that not even the Jewish slaves would do this. It was the job of the Gentile slaves. And it's one of those moments that's so paradoxical that it's, it's disruptive to our thinking. Jesus, you shouldn't be doing this is what our hearts want to cry out. And Jesus is saying, I'm the exact right person to do this. As a matter of fact, I'm the only person who could do this. He shows such humility. There are very few, exa- a few examples in our current culture of people with great power showing that type of humility. I begin to think of examples in preparation of our message today, and I thought of of a couple. One that's more on a a global scale and one that's maybe more uh, common and more local to your home. Let me just say the global one first. I was uh, like you watching the news as I heard about the death of Queen Elizabeth II and uh, her her, uh, reign in England, 70 years. We may never see another monarch that will ever accomplish that, but what was really extraordinary Me about her story is uh, not how long she served, but when she committed to serving. She started serving at the age of, of 25 as the Queen of England. But four years prior to that, in 1947, she did a radio address while she was serving in South Africa. She was serving the poor in South Africa, and she did a radio address. And it was then, on that radio address, at 21 years of age, that she says, "I pledge the rest of my life to serve God and the people." Of England, Just think about a 21-year-old pledging for the rest of their life to serve God and the people that God had given them accountability for. How many want to raise young adults with that type of commitment to the Lord and to serving others? How many desire that? Amen? In spite of great royalty, there was great humility. I pray that that will be true for you and me as well. That our accolades and our accomplishments would not limit us, but rather it would empower us to serve those who are hurting, to serve those who are in need. A more common example is what we often see in the lives of mothers. I look at my wife's life, and I am amazed at how she serves our family. And many of you women that are out there in similar ways. My wife is the CEO of our house. She plans not only uh, my life, their life as well. She's serving them rain or shine. How many know there is no sick days for a mom? I mean, you know that? There's no calling in or a day off, right? She is serving them when they're sick. She is changing diapers. And there are times when I see her changing diapers, and I'm thinking to myself, do these kids know she got multiple degrees? <laughs> do they know that she could be killing it in the corporate world? And I, and I recognize uh, that that many of you have made that sacrifice for the joy of the kingdom, for the joy of Jesus, knowing the pleasure of serving God by serving your family. And I just want you to know that is an amazing thing. That is not years thrown away. That is an investment into the kingdom. And you can only do that when you are clear on God's purpose for your life and and who you are, your identity in Jesus. So he shows us what it is to be a servant. But then we get to this next (laughs) doozy of a section, and it introduces us to our friend Peter. Verse number six, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him If I do not wash your uh, wash you you have no share with me Simon Peter said to him Lord not my feet only but also my hands and my head Jesus said to him the one who was who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but it is completely clean and you are clean but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That he that is why he said, Not all of you are clean. I love Peter because Peter is the type of guy that says what all of us are thinking. Peter is the guy who's gonna speak up. I'm sure he wasn't the first disciple to think, God. This is, this is backwards. Jesus, you shouldn't wash my feet. I should wash your feet. But he certainly was the first one to step up and to say something. And so here he is, once again, putting his foot in his mouth, as I'm so prone to do, and maybe you are as well. And uh, he speaks with boldness. Jesus, you will never wash my feet. What are you doing? I should be washing your feet. But Jesus, and this is what I love about Jesus, doesn't rebuke him doesn't respond sternly with love and affection. He looks into the eyes of his beloved disciple and says to him, you don't understand what I'm doing. And I think many of us have lost what Jesus is doing here. Here's what Jesus is saying, is that if you wanna be a part of me, if you wanna have heaven as your home and a relationship with the Father, you need to be cleansed by me. You must come through me for cleansing to have salvation." In other words, Peter, don't confuse my serving as the way to salvation. If he didn't emphasize the cleansing, you and I would be tempted to walk away thinking that somehow we can serve our way to heaven. Let me just say, this is a generation that is totally committed to digging water wells for people who don't have access to water, to rescuing women from human trafficking, to fighting for justice. His causes. And all of those things are wonderful and have their place unless you confuse them as a means to salvation. Let me be clear. You can't help enough people across the street. You can't buy enough groceries for those who are hungry to get your way into heaven. There's only one way into heaven, and that's through the cross of Christ. If he doesn't cleanse you from your sins, you can't make it there through your good works. So buy all the backpacks you need to buy. That's a great thing. Hand out homeless kids. That's a wonderful thing. Send food and, and water and all those things. But make sure that the basis of your salvation is that I've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That I do works not to earn my salvation, but I do good works because of my salvation. That I give because I've been saved, not in order to get saved. Peter, you need to be cleansed. You need to understand that unless you are cleansed, you cannot be safe. Now, in order for us to accept any treatment plan, we have to first accept the diagnoses. I'm not gonna go through chemotherapy unless I'm convinced I have cancer. I'm not going to go through a surgery unless I'm convinced that something needs to be operated on. And I'm not gonna be cleansed by Jesus unless I'm convinced And my soul has been stained by sin. In order for the grace of God to be good, sin has to be bad. And friends, we live in a generation that has made sin not so bad. That sin is not so sinful. But the Bible says the opposite. That sin is exceedingly sinful. My soul has been stained. It has been so tarnished that no earthly polish can make it clean again. I need something that can get the stain out. And the only thing that can get the stain out is the wonder-working power of the blood of Jesus Christ that still works today. How many thank God that the blood has not lost its power, but it still works today. So Peter says, obviously, I'm convinced now. So watch my head, my hands, my whole body. There he goes again, just like me. And Jesus says, let me tell you something, Peter, about yourself, when you've already bathed, you don't need to wash again except for your feet. You, they lived in a culture where there weren't paved roads. We can't relate to this in the places that we were at in our recent missions trip. There were a lot of places that were unpaved roads, so uh, they took off shoes before they went into worship because you would bring that dirt in with you. We're used to wearing our shoes in places like this because we're used to paved roads and, and clean streets. But Jesus says to, to Peter, all I gotta do is wash your feet, why? Why, Jesus? Why don't you need to wash my head and my my hands? Because, Peter, you're already cleaned. You see, you've already been with me. You've already put your faith and trust in me. Once you've already put your faith and trust in me, all I got to do is clean your feet because they'll get dirty from time to time. Here's what he's saying. Once you have already been saved, you don't need a second salvation experience, though you may need repentance. Repentance. You don't need to if you have lost your way. You know you have committed your heart to Jesus, but then uh, somebody comes with cute eyes and they uh, capture your attention and you uh, wander off the path again. You don't need another salvation experience. No, you just need to repent. Get your feet cleaned up. You don't need another salvation experience if you chase some opportunity that consumed all your mind and your time and you stop going to church and you get off your habits of study in the Bible and you look up and you say, man, I'm not where I, I once was spiritually. You don't need another salvation experience that you may need to repent. There are some that are here right now. Maybe you've deviated off the path, but you know you've given your heart to Jesus. You've trusted in him. You don't need salvation again. You've got it. You got it. You're his. But even children need their feet washed from time to time. Amen? Jesus paved the way through cleansing. He paved the way through cleansing. All right. Final few verses. Verse number 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand? If you do them, I am not speaking of all of you. I know of whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Man, I wish we had an extra hour. But let me as succinctly as possible simply say this. Jesus comes not only to save us from our sins, but to be an example for us of how to live before the Father. He says, I have set an example for you. In other words, what you've seen me do, you do. It is follow the leader, folks. If he washed feet, then you and I need to all right, let me try this side of the room. If he washed feet, then you and I need to. If he served others, then you and I need to. If he loves strangers, then you and I need to. If he served children and kids, then you and I need to. That's the way that it works. We watch him and we do what we see he did. And as we do, he blesses us. I want to close with one verse of Scripture, James chapter 4. James chapter 4 gives us probably the most clear and succinct definition of what sin is. What is sin? Verse number 17 of James chapter 4. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The danger of moments like this is that we're accountable for what we've learned. The question that we have to ask ourselves as we leave a moment like this is, how now shall I live in light of what I've just learned? So today, I pray that you will leave asking yourself, do I have a passage? Am I studying the word of God? Do I have a position? Where am I serving locally and abroad on Christ's behalf? And do I have a person? Am I walking with someone until Christ is formed in them, remembering that you're not a disciple until you've made a disciple. Everyone stand all over this church. I mean, thank God for his word. Amen. I'm going to pray and I'm going to dismiss you into the lobby and there's going to be food in the community rooms and in the gym. But before you rush down there, you get toys and games and have fun with your kids. Please stop by those tables. And if you're not plugged into a ministry, if you're, kids need to have community. If you have not yet found a life group, please get connected. We want to be hearers and doers of the word. How many desire to be a hearer and a doer of the word? Father, I pray that today, if someone doesn't know you, would be the day of salvation. That uh, they're in this room, they wouldn't leave without talking to one of our leaders, one of these great people with these football jerseys on today, representing Um, your team. I pray, Lord, that if they're online, they would simply just type connect and that we would be able to follow up with them. I pray for those who are already followers of you, that we would go forth, follow your example, and serve others. Thank you for paving the way by being an example to us. We love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' mighty, magnificent, and wonderful name we pray. And all God's people with a loud voice said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.